Chapter 12 Public Appeal Air Studios stood high and mighty on the King's Road. Bert shifted around in his best suit, clearly uncomfortable. Have you got it then? Polly asked him. I still don't know why I have to wear a suit, he said grumpily. No one will believe that you're important otherwise. Are you sure this is going to work? Bert asked nervously. I'm as sure as a royal wandering around a minefield for a photo shoot. Polly attempted some humor to distract him. What does that even mean? Was that supposed to be a joke? Bert looked puzzled. Forget it. No, I'm not sure, but we haven't got anything better. Polly hurriedly pushed Bert into position. She took out the rolled-up bedsheet onto which they had painted in big red letters, My husband has been abducted by aliens. Now what? Bert looked around nervously. Now we have to have a row, and hopefully that will be enough bait for the news reporters at air to become interested. Why the hell did I let you talk me into this? Bert cried. Annabelle Aces Jones was bored of the bulletin she was trying to write. It only required a brief outline of the pros and cons of capitalism. She may as well have been asked to translate the Bible into a microwave. After several attempts of trying to engage the man sat on the desk opposite her in light conversation and refilling the toner on the printer, she gave up and awarded herself a five-minute respite of looking out the window. The air offices that she once considered glamorous back when she was a fresh-blooded human journalist still held the one redeeming feature of having windows so you could dream of escaping. Looking down at all the tiny bug people milling around below, she became instantly interested in a big red banner and two people alongside it. From the look of the arm gestures, the couple was either arguing or practicing an elaborate message in semaphore. The headline on the banner caught her eye. Hey, Jeff, she said, excitedly motioning to the disinterested desk colleague. Come and look at this. That couple are having a massive Barney down there. Jeff, having been interrupted for the umpteenth time from trying to download the online game Civilization Extraterrestrial XX, decided to humor Aces Jones, hoping that if he spoke to her for five minutes, perhaps she'd leave him alone for the rest of the day. A plan that had never previously proven to work. Look, she's trying to get him in the headlock, said Aces, as if Jeff was not witnessing the same thing. There is a widespread behavior in offices when people are trying to find anything else to do but work. In the space of 30 seconds, half the news desk and a couple of the finance team were all bunched around the windows watching the argument unfold. Quick, let's get down there and film it, shouted one bright spark. The crowd mutually agreed it was the only thing to do. Do you think aliens have abducted her husband? said another. It was all the encouragement Aces Jones and a camera crew required. Polly clocked the camera before Bert. They're coming over, she whispered to him, waiting for them to get an earshot before shouting, I know the government is trying to hush it up. It was Bert's cue to run off. Aces Jones and the camera team hurried to Polly. Are you okay? What's happening here? Aces thrust a mic under Polly's chin. Aliens have abducted my husband and that man. Polly pointed to Bert, who is now halfway up the road. That man is from the government, and he's trying to hush it up. Really? Wow, how exciting! I mean, how awful for you! 
exclaimed Aces Jones, who aimed to muster up empathy, but delivered it with the accuracy of an England footballer lining up to take the fourth penalty in the quarterfinal of any popular tournament. Why don't you come inside and talk to us about it? We can put out an appeal for you. Aces mouthed to Steph, the researcher. Get that man, the one in that awful suit. Polly followed Aces Jones into a studio where she was dusted, wired, and shoved on a watermelon that was, not so cleverly, disguised as a sofa. Within 30 minutes, Polly's pleading face beamed out around the world. She and her fictitious husband received empathetic messages from enthused members of the public. Sightings of the abduction flooded in. As Polly predicted, Aces Jones, having achieved her story, had booted her out of the air offices and arranged a taxi to pick her up. A small huddle of sad and gray reporters gathered around the main entrance, so she was bundled into the black beacon of mercy from a side street, and it took her a few minutes to recognize who was driving. Tony, it's you! Polly was never so happy to see a friendly face. Hello, Polly, love. What a turn up for the books. It seems I can't get rid of you. He grinned his genial, big face at hers through the mirror. Let me just get us out of this street. I'm pleased I've met you again. Something strange happened after I picked you up before. He broke off as he single-handedly outmaneuvered a bus and several pedestrians. Oh, Tony, can we pick up my brother? I told him to wait near the station, she asked, quickly remembering this part of the plan. Sure thing. You found him, then? I knew you would. He pulled the cab up into a small parking bay round the corner of King's Cross and turned off the engine while Polly navigated Bert to safety. Back in the cab, all of them had something to say and tried to speak at once. Polly won the battle, quickly blabbing out all that had happened from when she'd last seen Tony. Bert turning up, staying at his flat, discovering Bert was married, Janet's disappearance and death, the plan to find Donald, and the TV interview. Bert nodded along and added his pieces of information, correcting Polly when she made up bits she couldn't remember. Tony sighed and leaned back in his seat, resting his hands on his knees as if meditating in thought. Polly and Bert watched him eagerly and wait for whatever it was he was going to say next. What about the other thing? The genie, he said cryptically, turning to look at Polly. Oh, great, he's lost his marbles. Polly thought, but said nothing out loud, instead leaning in a little to search for clues in his mapped face. The genie, he said again, nodding his head slightly and blatantly winking. It clicked. Oh, you mean the code? It's okay, Bert knows about the code, she said quickly as Tony inexpertly made signals that she might want to remain aloof on the matter. Funny you should mention that as we haven't sussed that out at all, have we, Bert? It wasn't really a question, and Polly continued, It wasn't anything to do with Bert. I'm not sure it's anything to do with anything. Hmm, said Tony, rubbing his chin. He'd noticed something Polly hadn't, and that was how quiet Bert had gone. His face was masked quite literally by his hands. Have you thought about what you want if it turned out to be real? Just in case. Polly thought back to her small, big, and secret list, but could only remember something about being friends with a pigeon and the boyfriend. It was right, she was still keen on both those ideas, but there was not a chance she was saying that out loud. 
Well, I'm not sure. It's probably just some big joke. I mean, it can't be real anyway because it's just a bit of paper. How could it possibly be anything but a joke? Asked Polly more to herself than anyone. My wife has a saying. Tony looked around at Polly. She says, Tony, you gotta know what you want out of life. He sat back to allow Polly to absorb these pearls of wisdom fully. Polly sat looking at him, waiting for the concluding line that didn't follow. That's not exactly a saying as such, she said. It's the best one you're gonna get. What she means is, if you don't know what you want, then how would you know how to get it? Polly continued to look at him blankly. A saying is usually something a little more rhythmical and less literal than that. Like, don't count your chickens before they've hatched, or too many chefs spoil the broth. That's not getting the baby boiled, chimed in Bert. Polly stopped and turned to him. That's not a saying either. You're not helping. When in Rome, do unto others as they will do unto you, he continued. That doesn't make any sense. Bert, what you're saying doesn't make sense. Can you shut up? Anyway, what is your point, Tony? Polly pressed him. My point is, love, maybe it's worth thinking about the question anyway. If this is a joke, there's no harm in thinking about what you want from life, is there? Is there something you want to do with your life? Is there something you want? Tony impatiently tapped the steering wheel. Polly gazed out at the world moving around her, all the cars, dust, and people. What on earth was it all about anyway? Why was she here? What did she want? What was the point? Didn't everyone die in the end? Wasn't that the punchline of all this? A sort of weird joke. Was there anything else? Looking up to the sky, she noticed a huge white cloud in the shape of a mushroom. Words are beautiful things, almost musical. The sound of them can augment everything around you into beats, tones, sounds, and heart thumps. But they still didn't capture everything. They couldn't substitute that cloud at that moment. Language was a struggle, a struggle to express something that the more you explained it, the more you thought about it, the further away it got. An epiphany is an experience of sudden and striking realization. Tony had well and truly hit the nail on the head. Lots of people can tell you something, but it doesn't mean anything to you. Friends and loved ones can say to you over and over again, and it barely registers. Then, one day, when your brain is open to the information, or in this case, distracted by a comparative stranger who will say exactly what everyone else has been trying to tell you for years, and all of a sudden it clicks. Yes, you think. Why haven't I thought of it like that before? It makes perfect sense. What had Polly been doing with life before Donald knocked on her door just a few nights previous? Sure, she had friends, chores, and a job to keep her busy, but in many respects, she'd been waiting for something. In truth, Polly hadn't done a great deal in her life. Polly thought through her previous aspirations and remembered wanting to get a job where she got to sit in a chair that swiveled around. As a child, 
Polly had wanted to be either an actor or someone who ironed clothes. An actor, because she enjoyed making things up, and someone who ironed clothes, because the iron was off-limits to her and therefore seemed like the most exciting thing in the universe. Thinking back to her small, big, and secret lists, the things on her big list were out of her control, and she wasn't sure how much she wanted the stuff on her little list. They were only accessories, after all. They wouldn't change her life. If Bert would stay, he'd drive her crazy. And a boyfriend seemed too... too... small. Her heart did a little leap. Tony's voice became audible to her once more. You don't have to solve it now. You just have to think about it. There's no rush. You just take your time. So long as you do think about it, Polly. There is one thing I do want to do, she exclaimed. Get hold of Donald. I'm worried that something is going to happen to him. She thought back to what Bert had said. Do you know where he might be? Did you manage to get his own address? Tony addressed Polly. He was concerned about that man, Bert. He couldn't put his finger on why, but he'd always been a pretty good judge of character, and his instinct was seldom wrong. Somewhere in South London, but we don't know exactly where. It looks like we're stuck. Maybe we have to head home and see if the appeal helps? Oh! exclaimed Tony, making them both jump. I didn't tell you, did I? What? Bert and Polly said simultaneously. Well, the last time I dropped you off, after we popped to the pub, I went back on a shift and, lo and behold, I got a pickup from the Erlingham Club. Some woman, from all angles she was a tiny thing, but a bit frightening. <laughs> he laughed quickly. You know, she was one of those stern-looking types. No smiles from her. So, anyway, I picked her up, and I suppose I was a little excited after our morning. So, just to break the silence, I started to tell her about her little escapade. I can't say why, but I felt she was too keenly interested. I think she took some notes in a way I wasn't supposed to see. It might be nothing, but I've a good sense for these things. Comes with the job, see? She asked me to repeat Donald's name. I pretended to forget because I was suspicious. Tony shuffled a bit in his seat. That's so strange. Who do you think she was? Polly was wide-eyed. I don't know. I was so suspicious that I wrote down the address I dropped her at so I wouldn't forget. He went on. These things, indicating to the dashboard of the taxicab, keep all information about where I'm going and what I'm getting paid, so I didn't need to write anything down. It turns out it was a good job I did, though, because later, when I tried to find a record of the trip via the GPS, it had disappeared completely. Although I still got paid for the fare. He rubbed his chin meaningfully. They can change all forms of digital records, piped up Bert. Who can? Tony asked, puzzled. Bert seemed to be weighing up something. Nothing, don't worry, he interjected quickly. Have you still got the address? Polly leaned up to the dividing glass. I do, actually. Tony produced a piece of paper from his top pocket. I think we should go and suss it out, she said, eyeing the paper. 
Are you insane? Bert roared at her, taking her by surprise. What's the matter? Have you listened to anything I've been telling you? We can't go to them. Bert looked like a wild animal for a moment. As if someone had drawn extra lines on his face, she could see his skull under his skin. Why not? If it is them, then we can find out if they have Donald. And if it's not them, well, no harm done. It's not as if we've got anywhere better to go. Polly waited for Bert to respond as he sat in silence, calculating his form of mathematics. Well, we could at least go there, I suppose, but you've got to take this seriously, Polly. Tony watched the pair of them. Unnoticed, he saw the two sides of the same coin and wondered what it was about Bert that he was struggling to understand. Where Polly was light, Bert was dark. He was so serious, that one. I will. I am taking this seriously. Polly corrected herself, trying to put on a face that she thought looked more serious. Tony, what do you think? I think we should go and suss it out. What have we got to lose? He said evenly. Agreed, let's do it. Quickly, before Bert could back out, Tony turned on the engine of the Black Beast and swung them around. Bert was about to protest again, but thought better of it and sunk back into his thoughts. Polly felt her phone buzz for the 80th time with messages from friends and people she'd met on workshops. Having seen the broadcasted appeal, they'd been sending her messages, some asking her, understandably, who the hell Donald was and when she was going to tell them she'd got married. Bugger, she hadn't thought of that, that her friends might see the broadcast. Hmm, no time to worry about that now. It was a problem for later. The newest message was from her boss, Steve. It read, Hi, Polly. We're all thinking of you and your husband at this difficult time. Love, Steve. P.S. Don't worry about the conference call. What conference call? 